Amen. Check this out. One, one day this uh, wife was busy frying eggs. Now, first mistake, because you guys all know what eggs are. I call that embryonic evil, right? That's in its early stages. Think about it. It makes a lot of sense. But anyway, unfortunately, she's frying eggs, right? And uh, then her husband comes home, and, but as, uh, as soon as he walks in the kitchen, he immediately starts yelling at her. And he goes, hey, honey, honey, care, care, careful, careful. Hey, you, you use more oil. Oh, turn, turn them. Turn those eggs. Turn those eggs now. We need more oil. Honey, honey, hey, hey they're going to they're stick. Careful, careful, careful. Turn those eggs. Turn them. Turn them. Hurry, hurry. Are you crazy? The oil is going to spill. The salt, the salt. Use more salt, the salt. Well, at this, the wife, she's completely outraged. She says, what in the world is wrong with you? Don't you think I know how to fry an egg? And the husband just calmly replied and said, well, of course. But now you know how I feel when you're riding next to me in the car. <laughs> Woo-wee. How many guys would say that guy's about to get fried by his wife? You know what I'm saying? Woo, wow. But uh, men, how many guys can identify with that story? Raise your hand. You chickens. Speaking of frying eggs, that's right. But for these brave, manly men out there, I think we could all agree. The point is this. Backseat drivers are kind of annoying, aren't they? Just a little bit. They get on your nerves, man. I'll tell you what. You've got to share that in creative ways, apparently. But, anyway. <laughs> but folks, believe it or not, you know there's always a punchline. The punchline is this. Believe it or not, did you know that I personally, I think I've discovered over 20-some years of ministry, something even more annoying than backseat drivers. And can anybody guess what it is? It's when backsliding Christians walk around in life acting like they got this practical amnesia thing. I mean, you talk about annoying behavior, right? I mean, what are we doing? We say we know we, who we are as the church, but what are we doing? Half the time with our lips and our lives, we're giving the world a different impression. We're actually acting like we don't even know who we are as the church. As we've been seeing, this is not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That could keep somebody else from coming to Christ. So to avoid this uh, unfortunate atrocity of Christians walking around acting like they got this practical amnesia thing, we're going to continue in our study from the Word of God on the people of God. Let Him define who we're supposed to be. Amen? And that study, of course, is the character of the church. Okay? Now, we've already seen the first thing about us, the church, that God defines us as being is the word church. It's ecclesia. It's a group of called out ones. The church is not a building. It's not a place we go. It's us. It's the body of Christ, right? Then we saw we are a body of one, a body of hope, a body of joy, a body of love, a body of peace, a body of strangers, a body of disciples, a body of servants. And that's right. Last time you hear it, I love this one, was we are called to be a body of what? Rebels, right? Turn to someone and say, I'm a rebel for Jesus, right? Now, you're supposed to because that's what we said. Our text was Romans 12, right? Do not be conformed to this world. What's a nonconformist called? That's a rebel, right? So the scripture says you and I are to be rebels against this wicked world system. We're to allow God to conform us, okay? But the problem we saw is, man, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to be rebelling against this wicked world system. Unfortunately, we've conformed to this wicked world system. And the reason why is because two things, we've lost our saltiness and we've lost our brightness. We are to be the moral preservative of this planet as Christians, and we are to shine in the midst of the darkness. You want the darkness to go the way? The problem isn't the darkness. The problem is we saw the church, we don't shine the light of Christ. When you shine the light of Christ, darkness has to flee. But we're not doing that. We're just as unfortunate conformed to this world just like everybody else. Okay, we've lost our witness, our saltiness, our brightness. But I'm still preaching, Debbie, so guess what? There's got to be more, and the prophet Debbie has spoken. You are so right. The 11th thing we need to know about the church, if we're going to stop acting like we got this practical amnesia, who does God say we are? Now, come on. We've all got to at least get to this one, right? The church is to be a body of what? 
worshipers, right? I mean, we say that I'm a worshiper of Jesus. I worship Jesus, right? I'm a Christian. I worship Jesus. Now we say that. But do we understand what does it mean to worship God? Well, as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to his. Open your Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew 22 is the opening text. Let's take a look. What does it mean to worship God? And is that a good thing to do? I hope you say yes, it is. In fact, it's the greatest commandment of all, right? If you can't remember all of them, hey, at least remember this one. (laughs) In fact, if you do this one, everything else falls into place, okay? Matthew 22, let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word, verses 34 through 39. The greatest commandment, right? Matthew 22. To 34. Here it is. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, you guys know this. The reason why they were Sadducees is because these groups didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay? But that was another group. But he had another group that he always had to confront Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And that was what? The Pharisees, right? And so now they're starting to team up against Jesus, right? And then one of them, an expert in the law, tested him. Now, can you imagine the futility of this? You're going to take on God? You're going to test Jesus, who is God in the flesh? You think he's, oh, wow, the height of arrogance. No wonder Jesus had choice words for them. Oh, by the way, which is uh, in the next chapter, he really rips into the Pharisees with exclamation points, by the way. But anyway, so they tried to test him, right? And uh, with this this question, here's their trick question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so Jesus, obviously not wasting any time, here's what he said. He says, to love the Lord your God with some of your heart. You know, just sprinkle a little bit here and there. You know, whatever you got left over. It's a busy week, man. Come on. He understands, right? God loves. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong wrong answer. What's the phrase there? All your heart and with some of your soul. Because listen, we're all torn in many different directions. Everybody's busy, right? I mean, come on. We got a life to live, right? Oh, I'm sorry. wrong, Wrong translation. All your soul and with how much your mind? All your mind. Now, Why? Because listen, again, Crone translation, you may not be able to remember every single commandment in the scripture, but at least get this one. Because the reason why you need to do this is this is the what? The first and the greatest commandment. And the second one's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You may be seated if you can. And again, what we see here basically, the Bible's very clear, Jesus speaking, the greatest way that we show our love for God is we keep the greatest, the first commandment. Again, he narrows it down for us, right? God's never been hung up on a bunch of rules and regulations. In fact, even back in the Garden of Eden, how many rules were there? Just one, just stay away from the tree. That's all he got. He didn't have 5,000. I never remember. Eve was just, I just can't remember. Was this the one I wasn't supposed to do? I know it was just one. And so basically Jesus, he takes all, the Jewish people were masters of coming up with rules and regulations, 630 different commands. Who's gonna remember all that? So, and that's part of their trick that was going on there, right? And so basically, he narrows it down back to just like the Garden of Eden. She's got one thing. All you gotta do is remember one thing. If you really love God, you keep this first commandment. In fact, I'm gonna tell you something. It's the greatest commandment of all. So it's like a double reason why, come on, you gotta get this one down. And what's he saying? What's the acid test? How do you know that you really love God? You are to love him and you're a true worshiper if you love the God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Now, notice it wasn't loving or worshiping God whenever it was convenient, whenever it worked out with your calendar, or whenever you felt like it. You know, you got to wait for this emotional hype to start coming through before you can really get into it, right? Uh, No, no, just whenever, you know, it's popular or whatever. Just, I just got, just, I got a little bit of time left over at the end of the, what's the key phrase there? All. How much is all? Rhymes with all. 
Okay, all means all, okay? And he says it with every single time. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the acid test. How do you know you love God? How do you know you're a true worshiper of him? Because, you, man, you may miss it on other things, but this one you got. It's the first, the greatest thing. This is it right here. I'm a worshiper of Jesus. I love him with all my heart every single day, all my soul, and all my mind, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's it. Pretty obvious, right? Did we have to go into the Greek to get this? Did we have to uh, resort to a commentary set as cool as that is? No, it's pretty plain. So that's my point. Surely we know this. This is basic Christianity. Every Christian who's ever lived knows this one. This is the first and the greatest commandment. This is your acid test, right? If you're going to be a worshiper of Jesus, that you love him with all your heart. And then when you're busy doing that, this is the response that you're going to get from the lost. They're going to look at you every single day as a Christian. They're going to say, look at that. These people have to be followers of Christ. They've got to be worshipers of God. And the reason why is because every day the proof is in the pudding, man. They worship God day in, day out with every ounce of their being. No matter what happens, no matter the cost, they just don't stop because they're taking it serious. All means all. Now that's what the law says to us every day, right? What a witness. I wish I could say that. Unfortunately, that ain't what's happening across our country, folks. You look at most churches today, it does not look like we're worshiping the one and only God. It looks like we're worshiping anything and everything but God. And so I'm going like, wow, how could this happen? This is basic Christianity 101, right? We, we, we have this on teaser. This could even be a theme of vacation Bible school one day. This is obvious, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your, come on. Well, I think there's a, three reasons why, at least that I've experienced. And here's the issue. Whether you realize or not, did you know that every single day, we are worshiping something. You realize that? There's not a day that goes by, think about this, when you're not engaged in the act of worship. Mankind, even saved and unsaved, mankind is gonna worship something. Now, it could be yourself. It could be a flea or a tree or you know, whatever, but you're gonna worship something, right? The problem is the church, we know we're supposed to worship God, but we've been seduced okay? And the first reason why we've stopped worshiping God, even as Christians, is because we started worshiping something, all right? We started worshiping things. And you better pay attention to the book of Romans. Romans says that's step one of your society going down the tubes. Remember, this is a perfect dovetail from last week. We're supposed to be the salt, the preservative of our country. We're supposed to be the light shining in the darkness to preserve our country. Well, if we go along with the rest of this world, ma'am, it's going to get dark and foolish and bad. And it starts when you make that first mistake and you start worshiping things. Now, again, this is the warning that was in the scripture 2,000 years ago in the book of Roman, right? Here's what he says, Romans 1, 21, 24 through 25. For although they knew God, do you know God? All right? So they say, I'm, I know God. That's me right here. What do he say? They neither glorified him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. Are you serious to me? People can sit there and profess to know God, but they really don't glorify him. They don't live for him. They don't even give thanks to him when things go their way they like. Folks, I'm not even talking the lost. I'm talking in the church, right? Is God just an afterthought? Is he just a spare tire in the trunk? He says, here's what happened. When you start living like that, he says, but their thinking became what? Futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Wow, that sounds like a place you don't want to be, right? Okay, and so then you get to that point. God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now you start getting into all kinds of mess. It's going to get foolishness. It's going to get dark. God's going to say, fine, you don't want to worship me? Fine, then here's what you're going to get. You reap what you sow. 
And you say, well, what, what happened? How did these people get into this state? He tells you, right? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what? Created things instead of who? The creator who is forever praised, amen. So this is the first unfortunate decline that uh, the scripture tells us. Why in the world has mankind, our society, and dare I say much of the church, ended up looking pretty foolish today and frankly dark when we're supposed to be the salt and the, the light. Okay, and he says it right here. He says, they refused, you get into the point, you made a deliberate choice apparently someday. You refused to glorify God, give thanks to him. In other words, you stopped worshiping God. Because when you're really worshiping God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, every day, woohoo, it's all about him. I'm acknowledging him. I'm giving thanks to him. High times, low times, I'm living for Jesus. That's what he's saying there. He says, but somewhere along the lines, you stopped doing that. You made a deliberate choice to listen. You're going to worship something. And when you say, I'm not going to worship God, something will always replace that. And he says, how they got in that state is they woke up one day and says, no, I'm not putting God first in my heart, in my soul, in my mind. What my heart, my soul, and my mind really lives for is things, created things, instead of the creator. And things got worse and worse and worse. And so come on, again, this is Romans chapter one. I mean, you don't even have to make it to chapter two. Okay, and this is pretty obvious. Man, anybody who starts worshiping things instead of God who made all things, it's going to become a pretty foolish and dark existence, right? That's pretty plain, right? Unfortunately, folks, we don't worship the one and only God who has made everything. We worship everything the one and only God has made. Why? Because, folks, I'm telling you, I'm talking the church, not the lost. We have been tricked and seduced just like the Roman society to worship created things instead of our creator. We have bought into this system that has told us to do this and, and, and ingrained in us from we high to live like this. And then somehow we think we could squeeze it in to be in a true worshiper of God? No, they cannot mix. But our society today, I've said this so many times before, we are told, correct me if I'm wrong, day in, day out, that here's what life is all about, even for Christians, is that life is about getting a good job so you can get enough money to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know and then are people who don't even care. That's what it's all about. That's why I'm getting out of bed today. That's what I exist for. Woohoo! Is that loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind? I mean, yeah, maybe in school that's what they tell you. That's right, because as we saw before, the purpose of an education in our country used to be was to get yourself equipped to be a better servant for Jesus Christ. Not anymore. The purpose of a job today is one that gets the most money. And you need that money to buy these things that nobody needs to impress people who don't even care. That's become the American way of life. Now, I'll give you this. That's great for the American economy. It really is. I I don't doubt that. Okay. Uh, In fact, our economy banks on you and I becoming unrestrained consumers of things. Right? We've talked about this before. Every year at Christmas, we go through the same cycle. It's Christmas is supposed to be about the birth of Jesus, but oh no. If you don't buy that loved one a ton of gifts, and if you don't spend at least $1,100, at least bare minimum, you don't really love people. I said, what's that going to do with Christmas? Right? And then the, then the news picks up on it, right? Every single year, right? Well, this year's Christmas is looking great. Looks like the buying is coming up great, and it's going to be a great boost for the economy. 
Can I tell you something, folks? It might be good for the American economy, but you know what the Bible calls that? It's called old-fashioned idolatry. That's what it is. Old-fashioned idolatry. Now, again, a lot of people say, well, that's, that's pretty strong. No, let us define what an idol is. Now, this is the classic definition from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen carefully to what really constitutes an idol. Because we think an idol, oh, no, that's when you go into those, those restaurants and you see a statue of Buddha there with the incense. And the, that's an idol. That's what that is. No, you go to these other places and they got all these, these stone things and they worship. That's an idol. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones states this. A man's God. You can sit there and say you worship God all you want. But a man's God is that for which he lives, for which he is prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which, listen, stimulates him, rouses him, excites, and enthuses him. I'll read that again. A man's God is for that which he lives, for which he's prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates, rouses, excites, and enthuses him. So fill in the blank. Right now, today, I'm not talking the lost. I'm talking the church. Right now, what is it that you're living for? Right now, what is it that you are giving the majority of your time? Right now, what is it that you're giving your energy? Right now, what is the focus of your money and your expenditures? What direction is that going? What is it that every day, this is why I'm getting out of bed. What is it that stimulates you? What is it that rouses you, excites you? What is it that, man, you're so enthusiastic about it. It's always on your lips. And if it's not Jesus Christ, that's an idol. Whew. If we're spending the majority of our time and affections and life and livelihood chasing things instead of the creator of things, it's an idol. And idol, folks, and it, idolatry, is not, it's not just sinful. It's obviously, it's detrimental. There's a price to pay. You see, because it takes a lot of time to commit this idolatry, doesn't it? Right? Right? It takes a lot of time. And, and because, you know, you've got to spend the time to get the money to buy these idols and to live for these idols. Right? And, and then if you do one of those unfortunate things and, and you've got, you're so worshiping that idol, you've got to have it right now. Right? And then you go into debt. And how many guys have heard what the acronym of debt stands for? D-E-B-T. Dumb excuses for buying things. Right? And the dumbest excuse for buying things is to not wait until you actually are financially responsible. No, I gotta have it, have it now. And then you get into debt. And then you get into more debt. And then you become a slave to that. And then you gotta spend more time and work more time because now you're paying interest and you gotta do this and that. Oh, now you got time for God. You know why? Because you're committing idolatry. It's a seduction. And God gets the short end of the stick. Oh, by the way, is he blind? Is he deaf? For some reason, you are a Christian living in a bubble that God cannot penetrate. Are you serious? As if God doesn't see this? He knows that. Now, again, you think, oh, come on. It's not that bad. You know, okay, so maybe, you know, didn't make the best decisions and I'm a little ragged at the end of the week, you know, I gotta, and all that stuff. But no, just in average, I've shared this before, but in average, how much time do we really give God over all these different idols, right? If a person were to live just 75 years, here's the statistics of on average across the board in America, what we do with our time, okay? Here's what we do. Uh, 23 years of our life is spent sleeping, okay? 31% of your life. 
Now, my guess is uh, certainly that must be half of that's probably in the teenage years because, man, as an adult, it ain't happening as much, but whatever. But 31%, one third of your life is just sleeping, right? If you, if you were just to live 75, right? 19 years is spent working, about one-fourth of your life, right, going out there and earning that cash. Nine years is spent, 12% of your life is just on entertainment and amusements, Go have fun. Go wind down. We'll get to that in just a little bit, okay? Uh, Seven and a half years in dressing and in personal care. 10% of your life is just getting ready. All right, men, it's really, for us, it's 3%, but no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I'm already in trouble with the egg thing. Can I get right home, AJ? Right home, thank you. You live close to me. But (laughs) 10%, just getting ready, man. Is is there it is out the window? You never get that back, right? Right. Six years eating. Eight percent of your life is just eating. Now maybe here in Vegas with all the buffets, a little bit more, but in general, eight percent of your life. And listen, just traveling, just riding around the road, doing all this, going to and fro, and all that stuff. Eight percent of your life. And unfortunately, folks, here's the bombshell: worshiping and praying, spending time with God. He doesn't even get one half of a year of our life if we were to live seventy-five. That's not even one percent. That's a point zero seven percent. God, on average, gets not even 1% of these lives that we say, I love him. I'm so thankful for the wonderful cross. I worship him. I'm a worshiper of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that doesn't look like loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Something has replaced that. And whatever that something is, it's an idol. It's an idol. And so it's not just, okay, we're guilty of spending more time with things instead of God who created all things. But again, how can we honestly sit here and say, I'm a worshiper of Jesus when he doesn't even get 1% of this life, when he gave 100% of his son? Come on. And you wonder why the world doesn't believe us? When we tell them that God is the most important thing, he's the only one worthy of worship, really? What are they seeing from us? That's just the first thing. It spills downhill because once you make this fatal error of worshiping and created things instead of God, it gets worse, just like he warned. The second reason why we stop worshiping God is now we've started worshiping our titillation, entertainment, right? It's been a stressful week. You got to wind down, right? This whole idea of personal satisfaction, which is what you need, did you know that was actually a temptation that the devil used on Jesus? Okay, and again, I I didn't say that. Let's take a look at the text. Luke chapter four, the parallel passage is also Matthew four. But here's what happened. Luke four, one through eight. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. And for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. Okay, he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Anybody be hungry after 40 days? Yeah, so what's the devil do? He hones right in on it, right? He's always looking for a point of weakness, and that's what he did. The devil said to Jesus, he said, hey, if you're the son of God, uh, 40 days, got to be getting hungry by now. But since you're the son of God, you know, you don't need to go to a restaurant. You can do it right here in the desert. Why don't you just turn this stone to become bread, which he could, right? And what's Jesus say? It is written, man does what? Man does not live on bread alone, Right? Okay? And we know it's by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Our sustenance, our satisfaction comes from God, right? But then the devil, he gives him another temptation. He leads Jesus up to this high place. He showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, hey, Jesus, I'll, I'll give you all their authority and splendor for it's being given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you what? Worship me. It will all be yours. 
And Jesus answered, it is written, who? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Huh, interesting. That's almost just like what we just saw. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus is being consistent, obviously, because he doesn't lie. He is the truth. He is God. But this is his actual encounter recorded for us of the devil himself, okay? And the devil's ultimate goal wasn't just to get Jesus to sin. He calls it out right here. He says he wanted Jesus to what? To worship him. And if you read about the fall of Satan in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, two classic passages, that's exactly what he wants, not just from Jesus, but from everybody. He wants to be God. I will be God. I will ascend to the Mount of the Assembly. I will be like the Most High. He wants us to worship him as if he's God. But God chucked him down, man, because the position's not open. Right? But the Satan's ultimate desire is to get us, anybody, even Jesus, to what? Worship him. Because he wants to be God. Okay? Now, again, I want to hone in on that first aspect. What was the very first thing in this temptation to get, to get Jesus, and dare I say us, to try to get us off track and worship and serve something else other than God. The first attack that he gave Jesus there was to turn these stones into bread. Let's break it down. To make yourself feel better. Let's break it down another step. For personal satisfaction, right? Because you're going through a hard time, man, 40 days without food. You just need to satisfy yourself. Satisfy that flesh, right? Because that's what you need. That's what's gonna be leading to a fulfilling life. Just turn these stones to bread. Personal satisfaction. You need to focus on that more than God. So we know that, right? We know this is a trap of the devil, right? He not only tries to trick us into worshiping created things uh, instead of the creator, but we, we know that ultimately he's trying to also get us off track of worshiping God by focusing on personal satisfaction, right? Well, what, what does my flesh want? Let's, let's appease the flesh, right? And then we know that, right? It's right here in the temptation of Jesus. And there's more than one passage that talks about this, right? Folks, we don't get excited about the God of creation. We get excited over entertaining ourselves to death with media titillation. And let me put it together because I'm telling you, I believe it's a step-by-step devolving dark, foolish process. It, it starts with when you worship created things, Right? And you keep that up long enough, okay, uh, you're not just going down the road of idolatry. Just like God said, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And here's why. Listen to this. Once you start, think about it, Christian. Once you start worshiping created things, said the creator, it doesn't just consume your time. It consumes your energy. And by the time the evening rolls around, because we're all busy running that rat race, because we've got to get all that money to buy these things that nobody needs to impress people who don't even, don't even care. And we're so stinking tired tonight. And even if we can make it to the end of the week by the weekend, oh man, we are wiped out. And what do we do? We get back to the word of God man we say God I'm just so wiped out spiritually emotionally I got to get into the word every single night and the weekends you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna have I'm gonna binge read the Bible that's what I'm gonna do I need to get recharged I'm gonna listen to worship music I'm gonna hang around godly Christians because God if I do this another week I'm going down the tubes that's what we do no you get home and what's the enemy drilled into our minds you get home and granted you are wiped out. You are tired physically, emotionally, and dare I say spiritually, just even being in this wicked world system. Well, you don't turn to God. 
turn to Netflix. <laughs> right? If you can make it to the weekend after that rat race, oh yeah. It's time to binge, all right. It's time to binge. And, and you see it, people even post it. I spent the whole weekend. I didn't even go out of the house. P.U. I didn't even take a shower. I watched every episode of Catfish Live or whatever program it is. I don't know, whatever. How many of you guys ever watched Catfish Live? Praise God, I just made that up. Anyway. <laughs> but I risk because you never know. I've, t- you know, I've made up websites before. And it's like, oh, boy, I can't believe that really was a website. That's not good. But, <laughs> but what are we doing? Are we going back to God? Because we worship him and we realize, man, he's the only one worthy of worship. And man, this is a trap that when I get spiritually drained, I, I worship God. I got to get back to God because I got to get charged up. I got to get fueled up, man. I-, I-, I can't fall for this. No, I'm to worship and serve God only. I-, I can't do that. That's a trap from the devil to focus on personal satisfaction. And that'll just make things worse. No, folks, we crack about it because it's so true. We don't seek a recharge from the God of salvation. We seek a recharge from cable television. And let me just give you some statistics of just how bad it's gotten, right? Shared some of these with you before. Who are we, who, who are we really worshiping? Entertainment, which again, by the way, let's just call it for what it is. It's not even really entertainment. You know what the good word is today? Sinertainment. I was just talking to somebody last week. I can't even hardly even take my kids to even a PG-13 movie. And it's, it's shocking. I'm going, that should be rated R. Shut it off. Get out of here. What? But here's the facts. The average whole household today combined watches almost seven hours a day of TV. I'm not even bringing up social media, right? But that's the average household. On average, a child spends 1,680 minutes a week watching TV compared to 38 and a half minutes a week that they talk one-on-one with their parent. Well, who's parenting them? It ain't the parent, okay? By the time kids reach kindergarten today, the average child has seen between six to 8,000 hours of TV. Approximately one-third of their preschool waking hours is around that thing. And a lot of it is, the bulk of it is completely anti-God, anti-Christian filth, right? At maturity, they will have spent more time in front of a TV than any in the, even the classroom. Schools today, it's bad enough as it's gotten, but this is where they're also being instructed, right? By the age of 10, most children today can name more brands of beer than presidents. What an accomplishment. The average American child t- teenager has viewed 10,000 murders, rapes, and aggravated assaults per year on TV. You wonder why things are getting more and more Violent Children born today will witness 200,000 acts of violence on TV by the time that they are 18. By the time today's children reach the age of 70, they will spend 7 to 10 years just watching television. And again, this was before streaming came along. I'm not even talking social media. I'm not even talking internet. That's just old-fashioned TV. And Americans right now spend over 100 billion, not million, 100 billion hours and over a hundred billion dollars on legal forms of entertainment every year we're not even tapping into the other stuff okay which is why i like what one guy said don't forget every package from hell comes disguised in ecstasy oh it looks good that's what you need i mean it's been a crazy crazy day at the office or at work or whatever you just need to flip on some entertainment that's what you need no man this week has just been nuts you need to do it. you need to bin watch Catfish Live, Pastor Billy or something. Right? <laughs> you need to download yet another streaming app for five ninety nine. You can watch every episode of 
Catfish Live. That's, there's gonna, somebody's going to make a T-shirt. <laughs> well, folks, look at the statistics. What's going on, man? Right? God's not only getting the short and the stick, but again, I'd say somebody is doing a fantastic job of distracting us from what's really important in life and what's going to keep us spiritually going every single day. Maybe the reason why we're so spiritually dry week after week, I mean, really, could it really be that simple? Is because we've been tricked into this personal satisfaction thing and we're literally entertaining ourselves to death? I think so. But not only that, God's watching. God's watching us watch anything and everything but him. And we wonder why things continue to go downhill. The third and final reason why we stop worshiping God, and again, it spills downhill. Once you make that first mistake, created things, then you get all wiped out and you start worshiping personal satisfaction. Takes a lot of money to do that, you know? Then you start worshiping your treasure. That's the third and final stage. And Jesus also clearly warned, uh, when it comes to worship, don't kid yourself. You can't worship both. It's impossible. I didn't say that. He did. And this is what we see here in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no one. What's, what's no one? That's an absolute no one. There is no exclusion. There's no, well, not me. No siree. I can handle this. No, no one can serve two masters. And he breaks down, well, which two are you talking about? Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he's going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. Okay, which one is it, man? It's this dichotomy. It's just, they don't mix. Well, here it is. You cannot serve both what? God and money. You could say you can. You say you got a handle on it. No, you're either worshiping God or you're either worshiping money. There is no middle ground. It's going to be one or the two. Okay, is what Jesus said. It's just like oil and water. It's just like chicken and cow. There's some things that do not mix, right? Have you ever done that? How many guys ever went to eat with me, right, at a restaurant, especially like at a buffet, and you get to pick whatever you want? And then I've actually seen, I won't call you out by name. I've seen some of you put on the exact same plate a big old man roast beef thing looking yummy cow, whoa. And then you put this evil on a bone fried chicken thing right next to it. And I've warned you guys, you better not let those two things touch because it's going to create a black hole and suck in the universe. That's two things you shouldn't touch. But seriously, there's some things in life that they don't mix. They can't mix. Don't try it. It ain't going to happen. Oil and water, chicken and cow. Okay, seriously, it just doesn't work. I remember one time when I was a, a youth pastor way back in the day and doing this internship and the uh, youth uh, dared me at this uh, buffet to put ketchup on the ice cream. Oh no. There's some things in life that are never meant to go in the same mouth and it's ketchup and vanilla ice cream. Now I probably would have been okay if I just quickly swallowed it. First mistake. I let it sit there for a second. I almost shared my inner self with the youth. <laughs> but I got it down. Barely. But you know what the funny thing was? The funny thing was, I said, if I do this, which they didn't think I could pull it off, without puking, you got to do it too. So they see me, I'm about ready to lurch, right? And they're all going, ha, ha, and then I was able to get it down, and they went from, ha, ha, to like, oh, no. <laughs> you go get your ketchup. So, but, anyway, but it's, it's, things don't mix. 
You can't mix. And again, I don't know how clear you get in this. You could say you worship God, but you can't worship him at the same time you're worshiping money. Are we clear on that? It's some things in life don't mix, and that's what Jesus said, okay? And so surely we know this, right? That, that, that we're not gonna fall for this trap of, of, of worshiping gold over God. I mean, I mean, I mean it's crazy, right? And, and again, the reason why this happens is what? It's part of this trap. Once you get off track and you don't love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, you're gonna worship something, right? Unfortunately, Romans 1 kicks in. You start worshiping created things, right? And then because it takes a lot of time, right, uh, to do that, then you're all tired. And then Satan comes in with step two, with don't turn to God and get recharged and back on track and, and worship and serve him only. No, now I'm going for personal satisfaction and all this entertainment. And then guess what? The whole time to live that, if you wanna call it lifestyle, what's it take? money takes a lot of money to get all those things that you don't need and you worship that instead of God when you get out of bed that day it's about making that money has nothing to do with the kingdom of God it's all about keeping that going I need more things I need to pay off things I need to purchase another app to give me more entertainment to do. I, I need money. At that point, don't kid yourself. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping money. You can't do both at the same time. And again, we've seen this before, but let's take the pie test, right? Take all of your income, put it in a circle, because last time I checked, pies are circles. And then let's, let's see what we do with it. And let's see, of this pie, what does God get? Can we confidently say that I don't worship money, I worship God? Let's take a look. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite.
brought the pie. Zipai. Who's our provider? God. He doesn't get any, any of his pie? You know why? Because of idolatry. It's the devolving process. You worship created things instead of your creator. It not only consumes your time, it only consumes your energy, it consumes your money. It takes a lot of money to buy these things that nobody needs in order to give them to people who already have everything. And God gets the short on the stick. And I'll say this, I've said this till I'm blue in the face. God does not need your money. He doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. But let's be honest. As Jesus said, it's something that is an acid test of who you really worship. Show me your checkbook, I will show you who you worship. Doesn't mean that God gets every single penny because you gotta live, you gotta have whatever. But if it's out of control and God gets nothing, then don't kid yourself. You can't worship God and money at the same time. You need to take care of your needs. But you need to realize that it does take finances to do what God's called us to do. Now, let me give you an easy example of what that looks like. One day, this Christian doctor was asked by a patient what he'd done during the past week, and what was his reply? Here's what the doctor said to his patient. He said, wow, it's been a great week. He says, you know, on Monday, I preached the gospel in Brazil. Tuesday, I ministered among the Mexicans in southwest Texas. Wednesday, I operate on patients in a hospital in Africa. Thursday, I taught in a mission school in Japan. On Friday, I helped to establish a new church in California. On Saturday, I taught classes in our seminaries. And finally, on Sunday, I distributed Bibles in Korea. And the patient was astounded. He said, well, how in the world could you be in so many places doing so many different things? And the doctor replied, I wasn't. But you see, I hold the dollars that God enabled me to earn, and some of them have been channeling to places that I just mentioned. You have to take care of your house, your home, your dwelling. You have to have clothes. That really comes in handy. You have to eat food. I get all that. But listen, idolatry comes at a cost. And if you don't have time, to support the cause of Christ and getting the gospel out. You're not worshiping God. You can't worship both God and money. So the point is, we wrap it up. If we spend more time storing up treasure on earth instead of treasure in heaven, how could we really call ourselves worshipers of God who made heaven and who's promised us heaven? And you really think he doesn't see? Pastor Billy, I don't know what it is. Is this week two? Are you still upset that she got trumped by Trump and the vice president was, the, it was postponed? I mean, what's going on here, man? You're getting all fired up, getting all crazy on me, right? Maybe, maybe you need to stop watching Catfish Live or something. It's getting to your head or something. I, I mean, you're being too harsh. Okay, so I, I haven't given God a whole lot of my time lately. And, and frankly, he doesn't even really get my energy, to be honest with you. And money, yeah, I'm like that guy. <laughs> Okay, but so what? It just affects me. No. No. How many times have we got to see this video?
the investments of storing up treasure in heaven because we worship God. Not doing so affects the lives of so many people. Like this guy, learn, watch this. treasure is there your what your heart that's what you worship as we close how many Christians are going to weep bitterly like that man because they realized too late they should have spent their time storing treasure in heaven not all this junk here on earth how many millions of people could have been reached for Christ? How many millions of people could have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and come to a saving knowledge of him. How many people could have joined us in going straight into heaven instead of straight into hell? If we, the church, would truly be worshipers of Christ with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind, and we refused to worship things or entertainment or money, there's a deadly price to pay. It doesn't just affect you. And that's why I say every week as we close, if we can't stop playing church instead of being the church, maybe it's time you get out of the church. Because being a Christian is not a game. What we say, what we do, literally affects people's eternal destinies. And it is high time we get rid of this practical amnesia thing. We've got to remember who we are. We are not a bunch of greedy, heartless idolaters of man. We are a bunch of compassionate lovers of Jesus Christ. We are his body, a body of worshipers. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. If we're being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven? On your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. 
I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.